Is money slipping through your fingers? Are you missing your opportunity to become a millionaire? Welcome to The Millionaire Choice, where we talk to millionaires and future millionaires about how to build wealth and what to do with it once you have it. We're here to help you do two things. Make your millionaire choice and create your own millionaire plan. Here's your host, speaker, wealth coach, and author of The Millionaire Choice. He made his choice and he created his millionaire plan at age 25. Now it's your turn. Welcome your host, Tony Bradshaw. Yeah, you're moving fast. You covered a lot of ground there. So mm -hmm. for the listeners, uh, let's just make sure they understand uh, what, who we're talking about, what we're talking about. But if you're not familiar with Napoleon Hill, he's uh, definitely a guy that you need to read. His book is one of the quintessential uh, books on wealth and money, and it's Think and Grow Rich. And uh, a lot of people have come along since he's written that book, uh, now that it's public domain book, and actually put their names behind it. But you are actually the guy that helped finish his actual work. And yeah. I just want to restate that for, for the audience. Think and grow rich, uh, black, a uh, black choice, correct? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so that's available on Amazon. Anywhere else you want to pick it up? Oh, you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble since the day that book was released. It's, uh, it was a bestseller in top categories and, and different categories on Amazon. So I've been blessed. Now, the only difference between a black choice and the original, the profiles, that's all. It's just the profiles. Principles and what do we know about principles? The application to principles can change, but the principle doesn't change. The principle never changes. Applications may change it, you know, just like if you look at Fortune 500 America and you look at what do they all have in common, okay? Number one, whether it's Walmart, whether it's Amazon or ExxonMobil to number 500, which is big lots, you know, what do they all have in common? They pivoted at least two times to making that list of one of the top 500 companies in Fortune 500 America. They pivoted at least two times. We're talking about application and principles. And what is pivot? Pivot means your strategy stays the same. You want to do ABC, XYZ, one, two, three. That's your strategy. But your tactics can change and alter. And you change your tactics with zero regard to how much time, money, and effort you spent in the past. When the opportunities come for you to change that tactic, moving on to that opportunity, you grab it. Yeah, and I agree with that. A lot of companies fail to pivot too. If you don't pivot, you, uh, you, you end up going away, a la Blockbuster, Kmart, Sears, uh, Circuit City. Uh, there's a long list of those. And uh, so you've been in the wealth world for quite a few years now uh, as a professor at Clark University. And, uh, you know, obviously, obviously authoring several books, but you didn't start with money. And I think that's where I want to take this, mm -hmm. uh, the show right now is uh, looking back at your past and how you grew up, because a lot of times people look at us as millionaires and, you know, people of wealth and means as uh, getting lucky or, you know, just being in at the right place at the right time, mm -hmm. which yes, that does happen, but that's not the norm. Uh, no. you, you, we all usually have to break free from some historical stuff with our family or even some of our own bad financial habits. What did it look like before you kind of got on the wealth train and started heading in that direction? Well, I was headed into that direction when I was a small child and I didn't even know it. You look at my parents and I have an older sibling and all of them, my parents and my older brother, they have all transitioned. But when I was small, my mother was a nanny. My mother had a seventh grade education. 
My mother took care of wealthy white children. And sometimes, you know, uh, she was a nanny for a white family in New Jersey. And when you look at my grandparents, my uh, grandfather and grand, uh, grandmother, they come from North Carolina. My grandfather was a butler and my grandmother was a maid and they worked for a wealthy white family in North Carolina too. So that's the track in which I was on. But what changed? Oh my God. My father was a stickler for education. Me and my brother couldn't go out on school nights until we completed our homework and then wait for him to come home from work to check it. And by that time it was dark and we couldn't go out. No, you're not going out, blah, blah, blah. Couldn't watch TV on school nights except for one exception. All right, you had what? Uh, I don't know how many people saw the debate a couple of days ago. And there is Chris Wallace as the moderator. Who in the world was Chris Wallace's father? Well, he was Mike Wallace. And what was Mike Wallace's claim to fame? My father wouldn't allow me and my brothers to watch TV on school nights, but he made one exception. This television show came on for 30 minutes once a week, and he forced us to watch this show. And what was that show? The show was Biography. And who was the host? Mike Wallace. And here's the key. There were no black profiles. I mean, I, was, I remember watching profile of Winston Churchill, watching a profile of Charles Lindbergh, watching a profile of FDR, watching a profile of Hondas K. Gandhi. And after the show, my father would sit me and my brother down and he would quiz us. Okay, what did you learn? What was, what was their goal? Do you think you could do that? Okay, what makes, them, what makes them so different? Why are they special? And he would quiz us and I just remember that and that just stayed with me. Um, even when I got to college, I was, you know, constantly, you know, being inquisitive. What W.B. Du Bois, uh, Black America's most prolific scholar says, Padea, Padea, always Padea. In other words, education, inquisition, knowledge. I just wanted to know. So, you know, one thing led to another. And, um, you know, when I got to college, and there I am working on my doctorate, I had an opportunity after my first year at Northwestern, I came this close from, I wanted to transfer over to the University of Chicago because I wanted to study under Milton Friedman, the Chicago School of Economics. Unfortunately, they weren't going to offer me any money because I had a free ride at Northwestern and I said, well, let me just stay here and do this. But I did have an opportunity I went to a conference in Indianapolis and I got a chance to meet some of my personal idols, Milton Friedman, George Stigler, James Buchanan, uh, and the like, some of the top Chicago school professors. But that brings me to this, okay? This, this game is about principles. Now I got an opportunity to speak to folks in your particular you know, field, in your particular tribe that I may, may not come across. And what we got to do, we've got to go back to the basics. And what are the basics? This country was founded upon capitalism. And there's only one form of capitalism. And you go back and you read Adam Smith and you can get another form of it, you know, Samuel Smiles over there, go through these French doors right there and you're in my personal library and you listen to me, damn it. I got every book that Ludwig von Mises, okay, wrote. I damn near had every book, okay, that uh, Milton Friedman wrote. You name all the great philosophers. I got all their books back there. And what is capitalism? You go back and you read Adam Smith's book on capitalism. And what do we know about Adam Smith? 
Number one, yeah, he was a, he was a Scottish economist, but more importantly, he was a moral philosopher. He was anti-slavery. And he says the keynote, the harmony to capitalism is, I allow you to pursue your divine self-interest and you allow me to pursue my divine self-interest. And who's gonna benefit? The greater good. And who is the greater good? IH, and what is IH? It's invisible hand. But he tells you in the book, as soon as you block another party from pursuing their divine self-interest, it is no longer capitalism. So you think about that when you look at all the nonsense going down in our society and you say, oh man, we gotta watch out for socialism, this and everything. As far as I'm concerned, we're, we're, we're enamored in socialism right there because everybody's trying to block everybody else from pursuing their divine self-interest. And what is the top of it? You've got to go get Andrew Carnegie's book, The Gospel of Wealth, 1883, and read it. And what does Carnegie say in The Gospel of Wealth? He says, the man that dies the richest dies in disgrace. Dies in disgrace. Carnegie said this game is not about being the richest, being the wealthiest. It's not about that. It's impacting someone else's life. And that's Andrew Carnegie. And Andrew Carnegie, he was worth $400 million at the time. You do that for $20-$20. And he makes Jeff Bezos look like he's on welfare. On welfare. And gave every dime away. Every dime. That's capitalism. Here we are, the most prosperous country in the world, and you got some people that can't even feed themselves tonight. What the hell are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? That's not capitalism. Here you got 195 countries throughout the globe. Of the 195, 165 are democratic, democracies. And what do these 165 have in common? Number one, universal health care. Number two, access to quality education. And number three, a safety net for the affirmed, for the elderly, for the mentally ill, for the hopeless. Now you go up, you walk up to the leaders of those 165 countries and all of them have those three, have those three gifts, have those three within their countries and say, are you socialists? They said, no, we're not socialists. We just happen to be human. Did you hear what I said? We just happen to be human. Capitalism is human. But don't you alter it and don't you change it. Allow, I allow you to pursue your divine self-interest and you allow me to do it. Oh my, that is, cap that's Ludwig von Mises. Go read his book on capitalism. Go read Ludwig von Mises' book on socialism. I got every book Ayn Rand ever wrote. Got every book Thomas Sowell ever wrote. That's where we need to be. Now, when you asked me for the interview, I know you weren't expecting it to get But I got an opportunity. I got a form. And you got to say it because people don't hear it. They don't know the truth. Yeah, you got to take it, right? Take the floor you're given for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I yeah. got the floor, man. So there <laughs> you are. Yeah, you need this. You need a couple of big stages. I don't think my little show is is enough of a stage for you. Well, I get a big Dr. stage Kimbrough. every Tuesday and Thursday in the classroom. What did Henry David Thoreau say? Don't die with the music left in you. 
So as soon as I walk into class and I see 70 faces in there, they're going to sing my song. I stand up there right there in the pit and you're going to dance to my music. And what do we know about Henry David Thoreau? He was the prize student of Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was the prize student of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And what else do you know about Henry David Thoreau? Henry David Thoreau refused to pay his taxes because he didn't like the way that indigenous Native Americans were being treated, and he didn't like the way that blacks, African Americans, would be treated. So he refused to pay his taxes, and they incarcerated him, they threw him in jail. And one day, his teacher, Ralph Waldo Emerson, goes down to the prison to see his number one student. And when he looks at his number one student behind the prison bars, he says, Henry, what in the world are you doing in there? And Henry David Thoreau looks at his professor and says, Dr. Emerson, what are you doing out there? Is that principle? That hold on to your principles. Hold on to your principles. Don't you ever compromise your principles. I love that scene from the movie Lincoln. And Lincoln is in a cabinet meeting. And these are men who he hired to be a part of his cabinet. And they're telling Lincoln 50 million excuses why they can't make an amendment to the Constitution to end slavery. And Lincoln is sitting there completely relaxed, and he's listening to one excuse after another. And what the hell is an excuse? An excuse is any reason for inactivity. You can make money or you can make excuses, but damn it, you can't do both. The poor keep score by cars and clothes. The middle class keeps score by degrees and titles, but the wealthy keeps score by their bank account. And he's listening to them make 50 million excuses until Daniel Day-Lewis slams his hand as Lincoln on the desk and said, damn it, man. He said, untold generations are going to benefit from the work that we are doing today. He says, you've got several good hours. You go ahead and find me the folks that you need. That is a moving scene, why? Because Lincoln, in that little cabinet meeting with men, found out Lincoln was, you know, abolitionist, but his men were anti-slavery. And there's a big difference between being anti-slavery and being an abolitionist. Huge difference. Just like there's a big difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity is physical your race, your gender, your color, you know, your income level, where you were born, what's, what part of the country. It's, you know, it's physical. But what is inclusion? Inclusion is spiritual. Inclusion is spiritual. Inclusion says, I hear you. I see you. I value you. You know what? You matter. That goes back. Napoleon Hill started, I told you what Napoleon Hill said, hey, there's no such thing as race. Good enough for Napoleon Hill, good enough for me. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful way you're putting all that together. I'm going to try to sum it up for some people listening to us. And uh, we don't often talk about this on the show because um, I think where you are in your life and your situation uh, and how long you've been around in this world dealing with wealth mm-hmm. and people with wealth is uh, you've got a lot more passion behind it because of where you're at and, and the materials you've read. And that's this. It's, it's kind of the reason why I think it's okay to be wealthy. And that is uh, the purpose of wealth, which I like to say is uh, to enjoy life, help others, and serve God. Mm-hmm. It's a three-part purpose. And that's really what you've wonderfully laid out 
uh, from men like, you know, Dale Carnegie, uh, Andrew Carnegie, and, um, and all the other men that you've listed out uh, there, even in your own life. And so obviously you're passionate about this, but uh, when you think about the wealth that you've accumulated and, and your purpose, what comes to mind when you say, when you say, uh, you know, enjoy life, you're obviously doing that, helping others. What's that purpose that you're so passionate about? Well, I mean, about? you, I mean, you just said it. the ability to pack somebody else's life, the ability to change someone else's life. And yeah, you know, you, 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 you look for opportunities and opportunities come to you. And the fact of the matter is, you know, that, you know, that's, that's really the keynote of harmony. My mind goes back to the last interview that Nelson Mandela gave. I mean, he's walking distance to taking his final breath and a journalist goes up to him and says, Mr. Mandela, one last question. And Mandela fighting for breath, he's just laying there and he says, sure. And the journalist asked him, he said, Mr. Mandela, what's the purpose of life? And Mandela says, the only way I can answer that question is to be Socratic, is to ask you a couple of questions. And the young journalist says, sure, fire away. He says, number one, have you closed the gap between the promise and the performance? Have you closed the gap between the promise, who you are, and your potential, your performance? And number two, you know, have you closed the gap between fear and fearlessness? So that's really the purpose of life. If you live the normal life, what the hell is that? What's a normal life? You do the calculus, 74 to 77 years on earth. That's all you get. 74 to 77 years on earth. Do the math. That equates about 30,000 days on earth. 30,000 days on earth. Remember, what the hell are you talking about? I'm saying time is not running out, but your life is. And the critical question that you have got to ask yourself as soon as you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the cold ground. What am I going to do with the rest of life I have? What am I going to do with the rest of life that I have? So that's, you know, that's a question that everybody has to answer. Wealth is not a condition of education. Wealth is not a condition what side of town you were born on, what side of tracks you were born on. Wealth is not a condition of your degrees. Wealth is not a condition of your network. Wealth is not a condition of your family, your friends, whatever. But it is a condition of faith. And it is a condition of discipline. And it is a condition of hope. Who is the most dangerous individual in the world? Any man or woman without hope. Who is the most pitiful individual in the world? The man or woman with sight but no vision. There are two books out there to all your listeners that you have got to read. And one of them is really not a book. It's a pamphlet. Top of the list, go get H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells wrote a short story called The Country of the Blind. You got to go read it. The Country of the Blind. You can read it 90 minutes. You don't even have to buy it. You can go online. You can read it online. The Country of the Blind by H.G. Wells. The difference between sight and vision. And for so many of us, we live in the country of the blind. And what is the country of the blind? You know, see from, you know, some people can see from a distance when other folks can't see up close. I remember I had a great interview. I flew out the, actually I had a presentation at Stanford B School and I said, while I'm out here, I'm meeting Charles Benini. Who in the world is Charles Benini? He's a professor at Stanford B School. It was in his class that Phil Knight got the vision, got the dream for Nike shoes. And so there I am with this professor and I said, Dr. Benini, you know, did you know that your student, Phil Knight, was going to hit the mother load, could be one of the wealthiest billionaires on the planet? 
And he said to me, manifestly, yeah, Phil was a, you know, a good student, but I'm not concerned about what he's done in, in his walk. I'm more concerned about my job as a professor. And I said, what is your job as a professor? He said, to enable the dreams of my students. Can't put a dollar figure on that. To enable the dreams of my students. So, I mean, that's powerful context right there. Yeah, I feel I feel like we need about twenty or thirty shows just to start tapping uh, all, the, <laughs> all the wisdom. I'm sure you don't have time for that. Um, but uh, as you're going through this, you know, obviously you're passing on all the students, uh, and you've given us a, just so many gold nuggets today on the show. Summarize something up that you would say, you know, for somebody that's uh, you know in this future millionaire status, because we like to talk to millionaires and future millionaires, mm-hmm. help people break free from their personal financial uh, spots where they're at. You know, I grew up in a broke family. I broke free. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people I have on the show uh, grew up in broke families and, ha- and are, are, you know, moving into this, this wealth world. Um, what's a parting piece of wisdom you would give somebody who is either, you know, in that uh, broke family status and they're trying to get their head into this kind of moving into this future millionaire zone where they actually are building wealth for themselves or family and to have an impact on society? Well, number one, you know, it's not your capabilities. Everybody has capabilities. It's not your capabilities. It's your belief in your capabilities. And it's not your resources. It's your resourcefulness. Start where you are with what you have, knowing that what you have is plenty enough. We live in a society right now that it's for, for many people, for the majority of people, they look at people, you know, their belief in your capabilities as the answer to their life. No. Everybody's capable. It's your belief in your capabilities. And you have got to be a participant in your own rescue. You have got to be a participant in your own rescue. And it begins with starting to take in information. There I am with the Wealth Choice. I had six focus groups around the country in addition to the 60 interviews and in addition to the 118 question survey that I asked these black millionaires. And this survey was completely, totally anonymous. Now, I had some of them who wrote their name and address on the survey and mailed it back to me. I had some of them who uh, attached a business card and sent it back to me. I didn't wanna know who they were, I just wanted the information. But in the focus groups, I'll never forget a focus group that I had, and I I asked this uh, young millionaire, I said, how did you become a millionaire? And he said, I just outread the other guy. I made it my business to outread the other guy. And I got a sign in my classroom at Clark Atlanta. As soon as my students go in there, they see a sign in my classroom that reads, if you don't read, if you don't study, if you don't grow, if you don't develop, if you don't go to the seminars, if you don't go to the conferences, if you don't listen to the podcast, if you don't sit in the front seat in the first row, another student will. And the day that you meet that other student, you lose. So it's all about taking in the information. That is the starting point. Yeah, that's, I love those three. Let me summarize them real quick, make sure I got those right. Uh, it's not your capability, but your belief in your capability. Your belief um, in your capabilities. And everybody's trying to say, you're short of the mark. You can't do this. You can't do that. What Hill said, you got to be inner-directed versus outer-directed. Doesn't make any concern. I, I could care less what people think. Inner-directed versus outer-directed. And that's one of the common chords that they had. They weren't so quick 
to believe well-meaning friends or family members who said, you can't do this, you can't do that. Again, going back to Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, they walk to a beat of a different drummer. Now, what do we know? What is the critical difference about walking to a beat of a different drummer? On an individual level, as soon as you step out, as soon as you break ranks, Thomas Kuhn, paradigm shift. As soon as you march in another direction, on an individual level, people will scoff, people will laugh, people will say, you can't do this, you can't do that. But on a collective level, when the wide swath, when the broad band of people see you stepping out and being different and unique, they will reward you for that. Yeah, I think that's uh, some wonderful insights there. Uh, well, Dr. Kimbrough, uh, thanks for being on the show today. And, you know, I want to remind everybody of the wealth choice. I'm reading this book right now. It is just a delight of a book to read and has really opened my eyes up in, in so many ways. Um, but are there, are there other things that you would like to point people to? Uh, cause you've got a lot of stuff that's out there and available. Um, how would people get in touch with you or other things that you would like them to check out? Oh yeah. You can go to www.denniskimbrough.com and I am on all the platforms uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. I'm out there. Oh, and I forgot the, uh, the, the other, the second book is the go getter by Peter Kahn. You read those two books, one, um, country of the blind by HG Wells and the other book, the go getter by Peter Kine, a little small book written in 1921. All of your top business schools, make sure that their students, Read those two, Country of the Blind and The Go-Getter. One is about vision. The other is about persistence. So there you are. But yeah, you can hit me up on all forms of social media. Thank you, my brother, for having me. You can add anybody on your podcast. And you got me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much. All right. You take care. God bless. That's a wrap for this episode of The Millionaire Choice. Remember, wealth is a result of getting smarter with your money. Wealth helps you enjoy life and help people. For resources, tools, and a community that will accelerate your millionaire journey, go to themillionairechoice.com. The Millionaire Choice Show shares the opinions and experiences of people and should not be considered financial advice. Before making your own financial choices, please seek out a registered financial advisor or certified financial planner.